Welcome to the Bruins Success Podcast, where we talk to UCLA alumni about their career journey and how they define success. Today's guest is Dr. Jen Wells. Jen received her BA from UCLA in 2007 in American Literature and Culture and a minor in Education Studies. She received her MA degree in Higher Education Administration from New York University and her Doctorate of Education in Organizational Change and Leadership at the University of Southern California. Her dissertation focuses on the understanding of the organizational influences on college chief diversity officers' ability to impact institutional change. Jen's career in education administration focuses on student leadership with an emphasis on identity development and social justice education. Jen currently works as the inaugural Director of Equity and Inclusion for the Marlboro School, a seventh through 12th grade independent girls school in Los Angeles. In this position, Jen serves as a Chief Diversity Officer and member of the school's senior leadership team. In addition to her formal role at Marlboro, Jen is an independent consultant providing diversity, equity, and inclusion workshops for higher education and nonprofit organizations. Her workshops focus on implicit bias, racial justice, multiraciality, and gender sexuality inclusion. Welcome back to another episode of the Bruin Success Podcast. I'm joined today by Jen Wells. Thanks so much for being here with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. So we would love to jump in and hear a little bit about your trajectory, the experiences that you had in higher ed that um, have brought you to where you are today and working in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Would you mind sort of uh, taking a time travel trip backwards and, and tell us where it all started? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was born, I'm just kidding. We won't go that far. But I do love talking about my time at UCLA, and so I really do feel like my career trajectory was kind of blossoming at UCLA. I had made the decision uh, to to do the minor in education studies, um, which was fantastic and really life changing for me. Really seeing uh, kind of what all goes into studying education and and all of that. Um, but at the same time, I was really involved as a student leader, and so I was working as a resident assistant. I was on the orientation staff. I was actually in the Student Alumni Association um, oh. and also a TA for the Education 92 course, which I think is like college success or something like that for, for students. And I just remember feeling a really big connection. I thought I was going to go into K-12 education, but ended up thinking like, oh, higher education, that might be something I'm really interested in. Um, so naturally, I went on to get my master's in student affairs um, from New York University. While I was there, I worked in a number of different capacities. I started off in residential life, uh, supervising RAs and, and hall councils, but then I kind of moved into more of a student activities role. So uh, doing things like advising student government and student clubs and running orientation. Um, but I, one of the things that I'll say that was kind of a through line through my whole um, kind of start to, to working in higher education was actually um, social justice education and diversity, equity, and inclusion with student leaders. I was really wanting them to develop their own capacity as leaders and do so in a way that was inclusive for the students they were serving um, or just being able to be their full selves on college campuses. And so I did, um, I joined committees and did some workshops and training. Um, I presented at conferences all related to social justice, even though I was not necessarily doing that work. 
Um, from there, I actually worked at Mills College and fell in love with women's colleges. And so I worked at Mills College, Barnard College, and the latest college I worked at was Scripps College. Um, and that was the first time I was doing a full-fledged DEI type role. And in that role, I was really working with all of the student organizations that had identity based, that were identity based. Um, I was kind of doing um, college wide and consortium wide uh, committees that were, were dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was doing workshops and trainings for students, uh, both in orientation, but also in their clubs and organizations, and really just trying to create a more inclusive uh, community for students of color and marginalized, other marginalized students like um, the LGBTQ community, for example, um, Muslim students on campus and really ensure that they're, they were successful in college. And so that was kind of the, like the through line that I kind of see for myself is like, mm -hmm. everything was really kind of leading to that, to, to that. And now I'm at the Marlboro School. So I actually did come back to, to K-12 education um, where I, I now am the director of equity and inclusion. Wow. Okay. So clearly you have a passion for this work. You've been doing it for <laughs> decades, maybe. Um, was there something that drew you to wanting to um, facilitate these types of conversations and learning and sort of interpersonal growth? Um, because it sounds like early on, you didn't have like an official title or um, maybe you weren't even necessarily tasked with that work, but you saw the value, you recognized it and you sort of woven in in all these awesome ways. Where did that come from? So I will definitely say that it is related to my own identity. So when I, I identify as Filipino and black um, and when I was at UCLA in terms of where I was at in my racial identity development, uh, I was definitely in the place of, I wasn't, I, you know, I was, I was managing my own internalized anti-blackness. I had grow, grown up mainly in a Filipino um, environment um, with my friends and family. And I wasn't quite sure what my racial identity was while I was at UCLA, but what I did know was that in these places like the Office of Residential Life or on the orientation staff or in the Student Alumni Association, I felt like I could be my full self and I didn't have to necessarily identify with the race, but I, I knew I felt special and I could just be me. And I think when I saw that, it was really like, oh, I could create this kind of environment for other students. And so then when I went on to my master's program and worked uh, working full time, I met some other amazing folks who were going into higher education and we're kind of like, well, you know, you kind of have to grapple with your racial identity um, as you do this work because it de definitely impacts how you approach students and how you yeah. um, create those spaces. And so uh, that was really having good conversations with colleagues and then also seeking out opportunities within, um, it was NYU at the time, um, they had a multicultural affairs office that offered kind of additional trainings for student affairs professionals. And it was through that that I learned more about my own racial identity, um, developed through and came to love my blackness, came, came to feel fullness in my multiracial identity and really seeing that as key and core to what it meant to work with college students and being, being clear on if I wanna make this difference in, in folks' education, I need to have a clear idea of who I am, where, where are my oppressed identities, but also where are my privileged identities and then using that to then inform. And it was just, it flowed from there because it basically that, that is what leads or that, that is the core of a lot of DEI work is how do we really 
think intentionally about who we've marginalized, who we've excluded, who is privileged, who gets these unearned benefits, if you will, in the workplace, um, and really trying to create systems and connections that kind of undo that and create um, a better place. And so that's kind of um, the root of it. And then it just began to blossom from there. The work that you're doing now at the Marlboro School versus your time in higher ed, how, how are those similar places to do this work and then how are the, how are they differing from each other? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I can definitely feel that I'm still within education, right? There's still, I'm, I'm working with amazing people that are trying to impact young minds, trying to create future leaders, right? Um, that definitely feels core to, to higher ed and K-12 education. Um, I think what I've learned in, in moving towards um, K-12, I, I have, well, I'll say, I'll talk first, but structurally, um, I, my position is, is somewhat like a chief diversity officer position at Marlboro. Okay. So when I was in higher ed, I was more under student affairs. So I was really uh, charged with um, thinking about DEI within the student population, right? Separate okay. from faculty, separate, separate from staff. Yeah. Now at Marlboro, I am on the senior leadership team, um, really thinking about the whole umbrella of the school as it relates to DEI. I often talk to people about the fact that I'm doing, uh, the way I phrase it is like the people policy and programs of creating a more inclusive and equitable learning environment for our students. And so, you know, that, that includes a number of different things like um, hire, making sure that we're looking at our biases within our hiring processes to mm -hmm. ensuring that we're recruiting um, diverse faculty and staff to thinking about representation in the curriculum to how do we address harm in the classroom to um, thinking about you know, training for our board of trustees and how do they engage in DEI work as they um, leave the school um, to thinking about how we do our discipline process and thinking about conduct. Like, do we have an overrepresentation, for example, of students of color going through the process? Why is that? Are they getting the support that they need? And so I really, this was actually something that I was really excited to step into because in my former roles, it felt a little limited, especially when you're seeing how interconnected the whole organization is. Now I really got to have the opportunity to think about organizational change, not for just one population like students, but really think about how all of the constituents, right? You need the faculty to have um, a, an understanding of bias so that the students can feel included, right? They're all interconnected. And so um, that that's what I would say is like the major difference. And of course, uh, working in K-12, I, I work a lot more with parents and really thinking about um, kind of partnering with them and thinking about the education that they need in order to support their students when they're in their homes, um, which is not necessarily the same for, for college students, if you will. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, I took away actually quite a few differences between these two environments you've been in. And it sounds like, you know, it, it makes sense actually that, that you have this overarching reach throughout the school and it's very holistic since it's being applied to the teachers, the staff, the students. Okay. That was a very helpful explanation. And, you know, I wouldn't have been able to necessarily understand the differences, but I can see now why we're seeing more of these positions that touch the whole organization, because if you're just doing the work in one space, it's, it's probably not going to have the outcomes that people are really looking for. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so interesting. Um, you know, I just completed my doctorate. Uh, in May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, my next so question, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I completed my doctorate in organizational change and leadership, and I actually did my dissertation on organizational resistance towards chief diversity officers in small liberal arts colleges. Wow. And I think you, um, the the framework that I used, um, the 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 organizational change model was Burke Flitwin, and he um, the 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 theory talks about the transformational um, elements, so things like mission and vision, strategy, leadership. Um, in terms of um, organizational change. They talk about the transactional, which is more the day-to-day -day management or resources and things like that. And then it talks about individual things like motivation and um, you know skill sets. And for me, being able to track the chief diversity officer role through all of those really hit home for me in terms of what I've been managing in these jobs or even what I was seeing from even my spot in student affairs, really seeing that connect to what was the mission and vision of the college or how do faculty and staff receive individual training for things and how all of that kind of influences the ability to make good on a commitment to DEI. Yeah. Well, are you able to, to speak to some of the findings from your research? I don't oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Damon Williams, who is one of like, um, the, is at the forefront of a lot of this research around chief diversity officers. Um, my findings really were aligned with some of the things that he has talked about, which is things like mission and vision. It needs to be critical to kind of um, uh, the organization, kind of what they put themselves out to be. In, in addition, the, the president has to really be a big supporter of the work and, and also kind of utilize hiring uh, as a vehicle to kind of put people in leadership positions so that they can also carry through on that. Mm -hmm. um, on the transactional level, you know, um, things like resources for the chief diversity officer. Um, one of my um, uh, interviewees kind of put it in a great way, um, kind of you wouldn't tell a chief financial officer, hey, please uh, address all of the finances within our company, but we're not going to give you any staff, we're not going to give you any resources, we're not going to um, kind of, uh, you know, put any effort towards anyone understanding what the budget policies are right. and expect them to do their job. So why would we do that with a chief diversity officer? And we know that this happens a lot for um, chief diversity officers. Um, and so looking at that transactional um, layer, and then with the individual, it was really thinking about how are we getting these trainings and workshops and, and doing it in a meaningful way that's based in learning versus a checklist um, mm -hmm. for our for faculty, staff, and, and even our students. Um, and so it was really great hearing from them about some of the challenges that they were um, really facing. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest challenges that they mentioned was uh, feeling different types of support from different constituency groups, right? Even working with faculty, there were some who, um, you know, were on board and knew how to do this work very well. And then there were others who, you know, um, I think it, it, it presents sometimes as a challenge to academic freedom. And, and therefore, a lot of the chief diversity officers are kind of navigating these, these waters, especially right now, um, in thinking about when, how do we kind of, um, how, how do we address historic rooted oppressive systems that were built way before us um, in terms of like higher education being built for, uh, you know, cisgender white uh, um, land owning folks. And, and now that we are committed to bringing more folks in, what are some of those things that have kind of continued that need to be reevaluated and that some people are holding on to that tradition and how do you bring them along because you do still need them to come along with you, um, but also taking brave steps to make change. I think that those were all some of the things that came out in my research, yeah. Oh.
big work, um, very relevant, I feel like, for some cultural shifts that are happening in the workplace, in education, sort of like across all facets of life, at least in the U.S. right now. I feel like this is a, a very relevant time for, for you to be pursuing this. But but also, I want to um, I want to clarify. Did you was the plan always to go and get your PhD in this area? Did you already always have this grand plan? Did you know you wanted to take your education as far as it could go and do research? What was that process like? Yeah. So the master's was always something that was going to happen, and so I got my master's from uh, New York University. Um, I really enjoyed that process because you know, it was very academic centric, but also very practical. Um, I will say that I, can, I'm, I, I can't talk about my education journey without talking about what it's like to be a black woman uh, in this uh, country. For me, um, education has always served as a vehicle. You know, I, I encounter discrimination. I, I encounter folks who underestimate me. I encounter folks who do not really uh, want to give me the time of day. And unfortunately, when you have those letters behind your name, um, it kind of takes um, some of that. It gives you that credibility boost. Now, I'm not saying that that's my job to do or any um, person who's marginalized job is to go get an education to get that recognition. I also know that it supported that for me. Um, and so for me, yes, the doctorate was always part of the plan. Um, I feel really fortunate that, um, you know, for me, I was actually talking to another Bruin who had also done the master's program at NYU, who had just finished the program at, um, at it's that school across the street. Um, so I did get my doctorate from USC. Um, and, you know- That's okay. We're, 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 we are a multitude of folks here. I know that we have lots of great Bruins who did their undergrad at USC. So, um, but uh, I, I I talked with him and he really uh, helped me see that this was going to be a wonderful degree. Again, it was organizational ch change and leadership. Mm -hmm. And what it allowed me to do at the time, I was considering three kind of different pathways. I, I was looking at being a vice president of student affairs, a, a full-time consultant or a chief diversity officer and organizational change and leadership really fit that like would allow me to do any one of those. Um, and then kind of going further into my dissertation topic, it was like, oh, well, if I could study what it's like to be a chief diversity officer, what better preparation for both consulting and the chief diversity officer role. And so um, it's always been part of the plan. I, I It was an online program. Um, it was one that is built for full-time working professionals. Um, and so for me, that was really helpful because that, mean, that meant I, get to, I got to stay in my current role at the time. Um, it meant that I could um, have that flexibility that I was looking for versus some of the other programs um, that maybe require you to go full-time in the program and do research full-time. Mm -hmm. um, this one was also very practical. Typically the students in the program do their research on a specific organization, um, but mine, uh, as as you probably could tell, uh, was a more of a field study. So I did a, I did a small liberal arts colleges, and so um, uh, yes, it was always part of the plan. But I don't know that I knew that this would be be the degree that I got, and and I'm so grateful for for it being where I landed. It's an, it's interesting because sometimes people, you know, when they're looking at terminal degrees it's sort of narrowing their scope of yeah. what opportunities they might have in the future. But because that applies to those three, um, 
career areas that you were thinking about exploring. Actually, I feel like you've, you've done something special here. You, you honed in on something you felt passionate about, you wanted to dive into, but if anything, it's sort of expanded, I think, what you could do in the future because the way you've married the degree with the specific research that you were passionate about. So you opened a lot of doors for yourself clearly in the future. It'd be exciting yeah. to see what you do next with that, that, uh, that role. But um, can I ask you to tell us a little bit more about what a day in the life looks like right now? Because I think um, it, it hasn't, there's so many careers and jobs and fields that just really didn't exist even, you know, 10 or 20 years ago when I was thinking about my own career path and many people now as they're, you know, planning for the future, there are plenty of completely new roles out there. And I do feel like this, um, especially, you know, DNI is still an emerging field. There's so much more that I think is going to be done and, and grow. So could you just tell us more about what you're doing and, and what you think you might also do in the future? Yeah. Um, oh, that's such a great question. Um, in terms of what I would do in the future. Um, I think so right now in the role, and I kind of touched on this a little bit, but that, that idea of like people policy and programs. Right. And so when I think about people, right, I think about um, all of the workshops and trainings that I've done um, with everywhere from the students and and new new student orientation all the way to um, workshops um, in our professional development uh, model right um, all of our employees have multiple days that they were kind of required to do professional development and really giving them the tools in that um, even doing the workshop like I said with the board of trustees and thinking about how does their role intersect with D, um, DEI expectations of the school mm -hmm. um, when I think about policy um, it, it's really thinking about, so for example, Marlboro, um, you know, uh, is a well-resourced school um, and really has a lot of opportunities there. And um, as such, we have students who are on financial aid. We also have students who probably are just needing, um, being able to pay for tuition. And so thinking about how do, what additional costs come up throughout the school year mm -hmm. um, for students and how can we maybe um, lower that uh, expectation or provide more support for families who might need that support. And so part of uh, looking at policies, right? How do we um, look at who's being excluded from what based on limited resources or identities? The example I gave earlier, right? Um, if folks are not aware of maybe racial biases that they have, they might be more likely to um, identify a student of color as someone who's breaking a rule. And therefore there, there's a higher incidence of a student of color going through our conduct process. And when in reality, we might need to look at something else. Um, and also like we're at Marlboro, we're really looking at restorative practices as a different way of approaching discipline. And so instead of that student uh, who say, let's a student's out of uniform, right? The approach wouldn't be you're out of uniform, here's a demerit or, or whatever the punitive kind of system lend itself to. Um, it's more of, hey, I see you're, you're not in uniform today. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on? And we know from that approach, right, the student might tell us that there's, they're struggling at home. They might have um, had an incident that happened earlier that day that they need some support in. And it allows us to really get at the root of what's going on, um, right? And so if that, uh, say that root related to something that we need to do better in the community, that's something that we would tackle too, right? And so 
Um, and then when I think of programs, like, for example, I know a lot of folks who are in this DEI work um, are, are engaging with employee resource groups. We have something very similar. So as you can imagine, what, from your own schooling, we definitely have identity-based student groups. And so those exist. But also this past year, we recently created uh, some of our faculty and staff uh, resource groups and really using those as a way to connect uh, marginalized communities with a group of folks at the school, hopefully to aid in retention and community empowerment and just a safe space for folks to land. Um, I will say that some of the other uh, nuances of working within a school, uh, this week, you know, I've met with um, our school newspaper to talk about some of the policy changes and answer some of the questions they have about why decisions got made. Um, or, you know, I might talk with a teacher who is uh, thinking intentionally about Asian American um, uh, representation in her English uh, curriculum and, and really talking to her about how she might do that with great intention and, and care for her students. Um, and so uh, I, I really think about it as like, and I would say my role is actually inaugural at Marlboro and it's really awesome to see how they're building that out. Um, and so uh, while we continue to see what um, that structure kind of leads to, I really have the opportunity to work across the board with folks um, and really empower them to be able to do this work. Cause I think that that's really important. It's not just me, the chief diversity officer, who's kind of taking on these, these projects. That's it's true. really, exactly, it's really empowering um, individuals within the organization from their own role to kind of create that change as well. Yeah. And then and I was like, and then you mentioned what comes next. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I um, feel really fortunate to work at Marlboro and I'm really loving my time there. Again, I, like, uh, I love how committed the school is. They really are kind of doing the work, um, not just putting up a statement on their website. And that that's really exciting from a yeah, big difference. Between yeah, that we believe in this and putting resources behind something, making real change, especially at all the different levels that you talked about. Exactly. And like that, that means a lot for me and sustains me as a chief diversity officer. You know, there's so many articles written about how often uh, folks get put into these roles and are not supported or um, mm. they're, they're kind of left with doing all of the labor. I really don't feel that way in my role, which is really wonderful. Um, and so I, I think like right now, uh, what the next step looks like is just continue to do this great work at Marlboro um, and thinking about my leadership maybe within independent schools. Um, but I, I, I'm really happy where I am. So <laughs> kind of building this out is, 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 is what's next, I would say. Yes, yes, not, not implying you. <laughs> like my boss who might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering, I mean, oh my gosh, what a diverse day or week, or maybe even over a couple yeah. hours doing so many different things. Um, there's so much, I think, you know, as we said, like there's more to do in this world for, for someone who is either early in their career and is thinking about a future, or maybe even, you know, further along, and they might want to pivot into this world and get involved with, um, you know, work in their organization, either staying where they are and, and trying to really build out programming, getting more involved, volunteering, or if they want a position um, more in line with, with what you have, where you're leading the charge for that, what advice do you have for people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say like, as I was coming up through my career, there weren't a lot of 
uh, formal programming for folks who are yeah. looking to see this work. And so I will say I've seen a lot more um, certificate programs pop up that are that are tackling kind of professionalizing um, DEI work, if you will. Um, but in the absence of that, I could share uh, 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 kind of the other work that is supported me coming into this. Yeah, um, as, as you heard uh, me talk about a little bit earlier, um, you could see from any role that I was in, I was really thinking about what committees existed that were kind of doing this work or what um, what additional projects I could come on to um, that were related to DEI. So for example, um, when I was working in residential life, I served on the committee that did the training for new student leaders. And in that committee, I was able to kind of build out the diversity quote unquote model um, module for the student leadership training. So I was able to then say on my resume that I created DEI trainings, right? Um, similarly, um, in communications, for example, like in a communications committee, I was able to talk about how we made uh, the website more accessible or thought about like um, the images that we used on the website, for example, right? Um, and then uh, what I the other piece of advice while, while taking on some of those committee works or, or additional projects that are related to DEI, right? That might be leading your own employee resource group, for example, or getting involved in that. The other thing I would say is really thinking about your own role. I think like, like I alluded to earlier, we all have a sphere of influence no matter what our role is in the organization. It could be something as simple as um, creating better pathways for communication because you know that certain groups are not heard as often, right? Being able to talk to that in interviews or being able to talk to how building that process supports, um, you know, retention of, of um, uh, people of color, for example, in the workplace, really allows folks to see that transferable skill when you're not able to get that direct experience. So really thinking about like, where are the ways that I can, um, you know, diversify our supply chain, or where are the ways that I can um, think about who's being excluded and looking at our policies or, or kind of um, identify those issues and, and probably propose another project. Those are ways that um, I would say that if you are on this pathway, it will also give you a taste of what um, what uh, the work looks like. I this I, I you know I, I sound very happy and, and very hopeful, but there's a lot of um, like I said organizational resistance or resistance to this work, um, and being able to kind of um, uh, engage with that resistance uh, kind of builds your stamina then for when you're doing it at the organization wide level like I am as a chief diversity officer um, because that that is right like these jobs when we talk about oppression when we talk about these systems of exclusion you are not going to eradicate racism or eradicate homophobia wherever you go this is it, you are kind of tackling um, uh, a larger issue that you can make change towards, but will, won't always feel resolved in. And so being able to build that stamina and understand kind of what, what it takes to do this work is really helpful as well. So, I mean, you, you're just speaking about the resistance and the stamina that there's, there's a lot of positions in, in the world in different industries that are not so personal. They are not um, connected back to who we are as people and, you know, the, the different um, identities that we have. So, I mean, have there been points where you've thought, this is heavy, this is exhausting. Am I really going to take this on, you know, long-term in my career? You know, the days when the resistance is 
just a lot. You know, if you mentioned before, if you're a CFO mm-hmm. and you don't have resources and you're expected to do work, you know, that, that wouldn't happen. And to the same degree, um, in some of those, you know, C-suite positions, no one's going to say, well, we don't want to create a budget this year, or no, I don't care about planning out the calendar for, (laughs) you know, the next semester. There's not going to be that type of pushback. So what is it like to be in this role and and how do you deal with that? And and have you ever thought about, this is a lot, am I I prepared to take this on? And clearly you are, but if you could give us (laughs) into that, (laughs) that would be appreciated. Uh, I think you, I, I wouldn't be telling the truth if I say that doesn't come up for me every day, to be honest with you, right? Like, it's a lot. Um, like you said, it's not just, especially as someone who identifies as a queer, multiracial Black woman, um, it's oftentimes we are talking about the, like identities that directly impact me. Um, and then they're even, even when it doesn't impact me, um, you know, um, the MLK quote regarding like, um, it impacts all of us when there's injustice anywhere, right? And so um, I will say, I feel very fortunate and this would be the advice that I would even have to folks as they're engaging in this work um, is to really develop a self-care routine and, and really thinking about communities of care. Um, I, you know, one of, one of the best communities that I had for this um, was when I was actually working at Scripps College within the Claremont College Consortium. Um, I feel really blessed to have worked with amazing professionals across those colleges who are doing similar work. Um, and we had a, a committee and also an unform- informal committee that kind of met um, and supported one another through it, right? Allowed us to talk through the hardships, allowed us to be real with one another, um, allowed us to kind of, uh, you know, take a break, uh, maybe go to happy hour and, and kind of be able to be in community with one another. And then, you know, however it looks for you in terms of spirituality, whether that's meditation or therapy, or uh, for me, you know, I found watercolor during uh, the pandemic, Um, but really, really finding ways to like, you know, like I was saying, right. um, It is a lot of resistance sometimes, and it is hard in this world. um, But I think when we also focus on the joy and empowerment of this work, right? When I think about the students that I've impacted, when I think about, um, you know, the different policies that I know are legacies now because they got changed while I was at that school, um, I that is also something that brings me comfort and allows me to to think about why why it is that I do this and feeling grounded in that. And, and you know. Um, when I do think about shifting careers, because this is a lot, I all I always know that this will that DEI will always be a part of my 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 scope and kind of perspective on any role that I take. And so, um, you know, I I feel very fortunate that I could pretty much step into any role and know that this is still going to be a key component of what I'm trying to work towards, even if it wasn't formally in my role. Thanks for sharing that. Good yeah. advice heavy stuff, but important for people to know. Yeah. Well, you've also been very involved with your work in the communities, uh, excuse me, the Bruin community. So what's, what's motivated you to stay so involved since you, you know, you have your master's and now, um, you know, your, your EDD from different institutions. So <laughs> uh, we, we won't give a shout out there, but, uh, you know, we, we appreciate that connection back to UCLA and how have you maintained that? Yeah. Uh, so kind of like I talked about earlier, like UCLA, 
was really transformative in my life, right? I loved being a student leader. I like, <laughs> I was running around, I'm like, we'll give shout outs, right? I was running around in courtside as an RA. I was in Covell uh, working with um, some of those programs for students and the orientation program. I was in JWAC as we called it for the Student Alumni Association. And again, it was just a place where I felt whole. And so when I think about giving back to UCLA as an alum, it was a no brainer, right? Um, I feel really fortunate to have been able to be on the Lambda alumni board for a little bit and doing outreach and really thinking about how do we reach out to the LGBTQ alums. Um, I was not out while I was at UCLA, um, but I was really, I felt really um, honored to be asked to kind of serve in that capacity and really work with those alums. That kind of led to, um, and then also like I do a little bit of consulting work and because I have some colleagues that still work at UCLA, um, I've been able to do some wonderful uh, DEI workshops with the orientation staff, um, with some of the RAs or or graduate assistants um, with the school of um, with the school of music with uh, the sociology department. It's been really awesome to talk to them even about how they're creating amazing spaces for students. Um, and then, of course, it, it's all led to now, uh, where I am so proud to serve as one of the uh, directors on the board of directors for the alumni association and really getting involved in like the the uh, diversity um, committee for the board and 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 governance and nominations, for example. Um, and it, it's just such a wonderful thing to think about how you know whether it's through our scholarship program or through um, some of the the programs that happen in connecting alums to their communities has been really rewarding and, and I can't think of a better way that I would want to get back. UCLA will always have my heart. Like I am a Bruin through and through. Um, like, I would even hear that. I was gonna say like I would even wear my UCLA like uh, gear on game day uh, while I had my online program. Um, I was, I didn't make a lot of friends that day, but you know, I didn't <laughs> care. Uh, and it was actually great because there were a couple of Bruins also in my program. And so I was like, you know what, it, it's fine. I, I know where my heart is. Um, and, and I'm so glad to be serving um, as a board, uh, as on the board now. So thank yeah. you so much for your service back to UCLA. And it's wonderful to have you as, as part of the, you know, strategic team building out. Uh, planning and, and being part of the decision making and the leadership that goes into to that work. So we appreciate you. Uh, a final question before we get to the rapid fire ones. <laughs> How have you defined success in your own life? And I have a feeling this is going to be a really good answer. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, sorry, no pressure. No, no, it's totally fine. Um, so it's so interesting because as right, like share like a lot of Bruins out there are pretty probably can relate to this idea of like we're really accomplished people right like to get into UCLA success meant like getting the best grades and being like really involved and like accomplishing leadership positions yes, yes. now as I am more seasoned into my career I would say that success kind of shifted to at the end of the day what can I stand back and say that I'm proud of Right. And I think I kind of alluded to this earlier of like when I think about, you know, some randomly I'll get students uh, who text me or email me who, who I've worked with in the past, students that might have been student activists at the time who were having a really hard time with how the university or college was letting them down or someone who was on, um, you know, one of the teams that I supervise. And they'll reach back out to me and just share the impact that I had on them and their leadership development. And those moments have highlighted to me 
just how important the work that, I, that I've been engaged in has been to folks in, on an individual level. Cause you don't, sometimes in, in higher ed and in education, you don't get that in the moment necessarily, right? Like some hard conversations I had with students, you know, I have no idea if they'll ever come back, but some of them have and been like, you know, I was, I was developing when I talked to you and I'm so glad that we were able to have that conversation. Um, and then when I think about now being in DEI, specifically in education, success again really looks like like really how how am i undoing some of these systems that have historically left out people mm -hmm. and and really being able to say like at the end of the day i can stand by the decisions that i made um i can really stand by um what considerations we met we made in order to make a decision and um, while I'm still that uh, very ambitious Bruin um, and really like involved in all of the wonderful things that I think I share with this community and a change maker, if you will, um, mm -hmm. I, I think that that success has, has really been like, what's the impact I'm making on the world around me? And am I making it a better place? And, and I'm really, really enjoying that. Um, and that's what success has really looked like these days. And the answer to that is a very resounding yes, you absolutely are making the world a better place and have kept making UCLA a better place through your volunteer work and, and the other work that you've been brought in to do. So I'm sure many people would agree. And, and that's an awesome way to gauge success. It's, it's so, is there, is there anything better than having someone come back to you and say, you've changed my life for the better. That's huge. That's so powerful. And not very many yeah. people get to, to have that experience. It's so true. And I will tell you, I probably cried every time those messages came through. So it's it's really and I save them I, I have a little folder um because like like we said those hard times that come sometimes I pull those out and remind myself okay like I might not see uh what the impact is right now and and maybe it will come later so yeah absolutely okay so a few really quick rapid fire questions to, <laughs> to end us um a great book article media that you've enjoyed recently yeah, so I will tell you, and I've actually seen her at UCLA. I am a huge Brene Brown fan. Um, I am currently reading Atlas of the Heart. Um, there is a section on comparison that is allowing me to really think about who I am in the world and, and grapple with hard emotions. I will say that I know that there is critique of Brene Brown's, uh, Brene Brown's work. Um, those of you who might experience that, especially as people of color, I encourage you to check out You Are Your Best Thing. Um, this is a book that Brene Brown edited with Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement, um, or the, um, the, the hashtag uh, Me Too, mm -hmm. and really focuses on narratives of Black people grappling with that vulnerability, which I know um, some folks have had a harder time connecting with Brene's work uh, regarding. But I, I truly, like her book, Rising Strong, got me through really tough times um, as a leader in DEI. And so um, that's, that's what I'm reading right now and really um, getting a lot out of. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. What about a, a favorite UCLA memory? Oh my goodness. I, uh, my favorite UCLA memory was probably being a dancer for Dance Marathon. There is nothing like, um, and I, I believe it still happens. Um, yeah. So as a dancer, Dance Marathon, the last uh, power hour where they play like the best dance hits ever, 
it was, it, it just felt like I was on a high with, with all of my closest friends. I will say though, I have to mention a, um, a, a very close second place um, in 2006. So the year before I graduated or the, the year of my senior year, I was on the Student Alumni Association. And as you know, we do the bonfire or I, I believe at the time we we're doing the bonfire. That year, unfortunately we had, um, I think there were high winds and we weren't able to do a bonfire um, and it was a bonfire confetti and so like basically <laughs> confetti cannons shot out of the big bonfire like um uh, structure and I remember it was like what just happened but we went on to beat USC that year in football and it was it was such a like every, all, all my friends who were at from SAA who were at the football game watching this happen we all looked at each other and we're like it was the bonfetti that is that's why we won it was clearly um the fact that we shot confetti out of the bonfire structure this year and so those are sort of two great memories for me I love that very unique a lot of fun uh, and then to close us out what's a favorite place on UCLA's campus so when I was on campus uh like I said I lived in Courtside uh right next to Covell um at the time, and I'm like, I don't know if I, it, at the time, the stairwell on the side of Covell opened up all the way to the top where the Grand Horizon Ballroom is. And there is a balcony out there that you can stand and see all of campus. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, I would sneak up there um, kind of in, in the nighttime and just have a quiet moment looking at campus and just appreciating all that UCLA had done for me and, and the way my life was changing as a result of being a student at UCLA. And I cherish that very much. And it's such a wonderful, quiet space and um, such a wonderful view of campus. It sounds lovely. I'll have to check it out. Maybe yeah. Tonight, but that's it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's truly been my pleasure to talk with you, Jen. Uh, really appreciate all your insight all the information that you've shared, the advice, some of the vulnerability that you've shared with us today. Um, and thank you. Thank you for doing this work. Thank you for taking on, um, you know, some of that pushback and resistance, but knowing that it really is making change that's needed for, for so many people to come. So thank you. Thank you for your time and wishing you best of luck in all these future endeavors that you have. Thank you so much. It was, it, this is a dream to be able to come on and talk about my journey and give back. So thank you. All right. Awesome. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Thank you, Jen, for your great interview. For this week's career tip, we have one from Barbara Van Nostrand, a master's in education graduate from 2007. She says, say yes to opportunities for growth in your current position. If it doesn't come with more money, Ask for other things that could offset the added work. Can you take something off your current plate? Have a more flexible schedule or even have more face time with senior leadership. Be clear about a time frame, and be sure to reassess the new assignment and then renegotiate again. Thanks Barbara for your tip. If you have a career tip of your own, send it to us at ace at support.ucla.edu. If you send us a voice memo, we can even feature you on a future episode. Thanks for listening and go Bruins.